Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to Sibylline's podcast series. I'm Alex Parsons, Director of Intelligence. With me today is Alex Lord, our analyst for Europe and Eurasia, and Sophia Wolford, our associate analyst for Europe and Eurasia. Today, we're going to be discussing the recent terrorist attack in the UK. Now, as you have been looking very closely at it, Alex and Sophia, on Remembrance Sunday, last Sunday here in the UK, a suicide bomber blew up a car outside Liverpool's Women's Hospital, blowing himself up and injuring the driver. Sophia, could you tell us a bit more about this attack and the context around it? Sure, Alex. The attack took place in front of the Women's Hospital in Liverpool, as you already mentioned, and the attack took place on Remembrance Sunday last week. Just before the national two-minute silence was set to begin, a taxi carrying one passenger arrived at the hospital and it exploded. The passenger died, but the driver was able to escape. Police reports indicate that the passenger detonated an improvised explosive device in the car. The bomber was allegedly locked in the car by the driver to prevent him from entering the hospital. Therefore, it is likely that the attack failed in its original objective. Media reports indicate that the attacker, Amid al-Swamin, was born in Iraq and he arrived in the United Kingdom in 2014, but his application for asylum was rejected the following year. Following the attack, the police arrested four people under the Terrorism Act, although they were released without charge shortly afterwards. The attack was declared as an act of terrorism by the police, but they also highlighted that the evidence regarding the perpetrator's motives remain inconclusive, as his episodes of mental illness remain a possible driving factor too. The terrorism threat level in the United Kingdom was subsequently raised from substantial to severe, considering that this was the second terrorist attack in the country over the last month. Thanks, Sophia. The motives, as you say, behind the attack remain unclear. But it does nevertheless provide an opportunity for us to take stock of the current security situation in Europe. What would you say are the key takeaways from the Liverpool attack and and what should businesses be aware of moving forward, Alex? I'm thinking in particular about the issues surrounding sole perpetrator attacks. This appears, despite first impressions, not to have been a sell, but the use of uh, a suicide bomb is not novel, but hasn't been seen for some time in Europe. Alex, what are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Yeah, like you say, it's it's an interesting case um, and a complicated case, but I think it does provide a case in point in how difficult it can be to mitigate the threat posed by sole perpetrator attackers. So as appears to be in the case at the moment, it appears that the perpetrator may well have carried out the attack by himself. And indeed, the majority of terrorist attacks across Europe actually tend to be carried out by lone actors and are often a product of self-radicalization rather than input or collaboration with more organized groups or other radicalized individuals. And obviously, as Sophia mentioned, underlying health and mental health conditions are often a a common factor in many of these lone actor attacks, and that can make it very difficult for security services to identify the otherwise maybe clear signs of radicalization, which if the individual 
had been coordinating with other radicalized um, individuals or groups, for example, it would be much easier to identify. I think in terms of just the sort of the numbers, there's a clear discrepancy between the number of foiled attacks, which often involve multiple individuals and networks, more complicated plots, they're often foiled by security services. And the ones that actually tend to get through and that actually go on to be successful attacks or semi-successful attacks, they tend to involve more sole perpetrators. So there's a clear discrepancy in the data, which sort of does underline the enduring issues around mitigating and identifying potential radicalization amongst sole perpetrators, particularly those that are quite isolated and make use of the internet. I think it's also significant, as you mentioned, the use of explosives in the suicide attack. This is one of the first instances we've seen for a while in the UK. And over the last few years, we've been seeing a steady sort of reduction in the use of explosives and attacks in Europe, by and large. This is likely a product of increasingly sophisticated and successful security measures, and indeed controls over the sort of the components that are required to make up improvised explosive devices. In recent years, the vast majority of uh, successful attacks in Europe have utilised largely unsophisticated means, such as stabbings, vehicular attacks and arson. Now, there are obviously exceptions to this. The um, Islamist attack in Vienna, for example, last year, firearms were used in, during that attack. And interestingly, I think the, the number of sort of counter-terror operations across Europe, and indeed the instances of successful attacks, do indicate that far-right terrorists are much more likely to utilise firearms and explosives than other ideological groups, with numerous um, weapons caches, for example, being discovered in Germany, with clear links to neo-Nazi groups, for example. I think, interestingly, actually, official figures published just this week have shown that more individuals have been referred to the UK's Prevent Counterterrorism Programme for far-right extremism um, compared to Islamist extremism uh, for the first time. So in the period of 2020 to 2021, more individuals have been referred to the programme for showing um, signs of potential far-right extremism rather than Islamism, radical Islamism. This very much reflects the assessment of British counter-terrorism authorities earlier this year that far-right extremism remains the fastest growing terror threat to the UK. So yeah, I think coming going back to the Liverpool attack, I think it is very significant that an improvised explosive device was used. And coming on the back of the killing of the MP Sir David Ames last month, that has clearly influenced the UK's decision, I think, uh, to increase the terror threat level to severe. Thank you, Alex. And I wonder if I could press you a little. The fact that alert level has been raised in the UK, does that have direct implications for businesses? Should they be adjusting their posture? Do we think they are any more likely to be targeted than uh, before? Yeah, so um, obviously any sort of increase in the threat level is, is, is of no, and, and businesses should be aware. The, the head of the UK's counterterrorism police has issued a general warning to the public to be sort of more vigilant in the wake of the Liverpool attack than previously. Obviously, the current threat level of severe does sort of indicate that an attack is highly likely. And this is increased from substantial, which it was for much of this year, which is an attack is likely rather than highly likely. There has been an assessment made that an attack is more likely than it was a few months ago. I think it's interesting at this stage to, to sort of consider 
the potential for this to build momentum. And I think this is one of the issues that British counterterrorism authorities will have considered. They pay specific emphasis on the fact that two terrorist attacks have happened in relatively quick succession, the Liverpool attack and the killing of Sir David Amos. And I think considering last year, we saw a spate of Islamist attacks in Europe, primarily in France, but also in um, Vienna, as I mentioned earlier. And that sort of triggered a, a knock-on effect, which could inspire and embolden other um, radicalised individuals or groups to attempt to stage further attacks. And so I think that sort of feeds into the decision to increase the threat level, that there is a potential for further attacks in the immediate and sort of short-term aftermath of a small spate of attacks. Um, and so I think businesses definitely should be aware of this. At the moment, this sort of terror threat does seem to be largely, generally speaking, indiscriminate in, the ter- in terms of, of targets, i.e. it's trying to target the general public rather than specific institutions or businesses. Um, obviously, the, the Liverpool attack was of note that the individual seemed to attempt to try and target the, the hospital. But generally speaking, the, the targeting does remain fairly broad. And I know that various airports in the UK, for example, have just issued statements over the last week, just reassuring everybody that they're considering their security protocols, reviewing them to make sure everything is is as tight as it can be. But yeah, at the moment, an attack is highly likely according to the, the threat level. And I think particularly as we go towards Christmas, it's definitely something that businesses should be aware of. Thanks, Alex. Yes, I think you're right. In the run-up to Christmas, I think we can probably expect a significant police presence at a number of uh, the sort of events that we see, Christmas markets and so on. Now, turning to you, Sophia, how do you think the pandemic has impacted the terrorism landscape in Europe? At the moment, Europe is again at the heart of an increase in COVID-19 cases with new waves occurring in a number of countries and new restrictions and measures being introduced across the continent. How have these dynamics shaped the terrorist threat in Europe, do you think, Sophia? Well, there is already a great body of literature indicating that the pandemic indeed increased the threat of radicalization, extremism and terrorism in Europe, including with the United Kingdom and Europe. And this is because increased exposure to harmful online content especially during lockdowns. Also, the social and economic impacts of the pandemic are driving insecurity among various communities across Europe. And people, especially the youth, were spending more time isolated online that, as I said, already increased their exposure to extremist material and disinformation, including both terrorist content and conspiracy theories. Social isolation among the youth or vulnerable communities created a fertile ground for malign actors um, to to spread their narratives and recruit by exploiting public dissatisfaction with lockdowns, vaccination mandates, or other health measures across Europe. For instance, there was an 18% increase in the number of followers of extremist accounts in Austria, Germany, and Switzerland since the summer of 2020, according to a study published by the London-based think tank Institute for Strategic Dialogue. Elsewhere in the world, militant extremist groups like Al-Shabaab or Hayat Tahrir al-Sham in in northern Syria were also able to exploit the pandemic and galvanize their support in local communities, for instance, by offering health services 
that also had negative, albeit indirect, impact on European security. It is important to note that since the start of the pandemic, we didn't see an increase in the number of extremist or terrorist attacks that is potentially due to travel restrictions and lockdowns that prevented the in-person planning of attacks by extremist groups. Nevertheless, at the moment, it is very difficult to assess the extent of radicalization stemming from social isolation and exposure to online extremist content during the pandemic, but it is highly likely that it, it will have a substantial impact on both political processes and on the level of extremism and terrorist threat in Europe in, in the long term. Thank you very much, Sophia. Well, it's not a cheery picture, I'm afraid. We can expect, as you say, to see more attacks both in the UK and Europe more widely from uh, the extreme right and Islamists, I fear. Let us hope that steps taken by authorities are successful in preventing as many, if not all of those, in the months ahead. Finally, Alex, I wonder whether you could give us some sense of, of what we can expect over the coming months. You mentioned Christmas there, and I'm obviously concerned about the number of events that we might see and the pattern of previous attacks. But perhaps you could give us some idea of what we might see over 2022 in terms of the impact of the pandemic on wider terrorism issues. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, exactly. So obviously Christmas is approaching and this is traditionally a bit of a tense period um, with an elevated risk of attacks more broadly, but particularly Islamist terrorist attacks. As I mentioned earlier, counter-terror policing chief has sort of warned Christmas shoppers to be extra vigilant, considering the, the fact that terrorists may well be emboldened uh, by the two most recent attacks in the UK to stage further attacks. Um, and this ultimately reflects in the increased terror threat level. You mentioned um, occasions and certain events going forward. Obviously, Christian religious occasions and other religious occasions during this time of year are naturally potential targets for terrorist attacks. And it is interesting to note that the Liverpool bombing attack did actually occur on Remembrance Sunday, just prior to the, the national two-minute silence. So there is a clear sort of tendency for major events and major sort of occasions to generate a higher risk of being targeted as an attack. And this very much goes across Europe, not just in the UK. France in particular in recent years have seen this period to be particularly tense and previous terrorists have attempted to target religious occasions in particular. So I think given the concerns amongst the UK counter-terror police forces that this could generate a new momentum of attacks, we'll have to watch carefully to see if any further attacks occur and whether this could create a sort of snowball effect of, of inspiring other attacks in other regions. But at the moment, we'll have to wait and see. I think more broadly, looking sort of further into the future, I think it's quite interesting to see where the sort of the threat can develop in terms of the, the technologies and the, the tactics used. We've talked about the use of suicide bomb uh, improvised explosive device. But I think the proliferation of 3D printing, for example, um, and other forms of sophisticated technology like drones, for example, I think that could have an increasing impact on the European security environment going forward. Now, these technologies are increasingly becoming cheaper and, and easier to access. And obviously, in the case of 3D printed weapons, for example, are incredibly difficult to trace and often would avoid traditional security measures like metal detectors, for example. And so this very much reinforces the enduring 
issues with mitigating and identifying sole perpetrator risks. And I think it's going to become increasingly front and centre to security services ability to mitigate future attacks in the future. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you, Sophia. And thank you for that fascinating review of, of the situation as it stands. And now with a look at the events to watch over the weeks ahead is our Middle East Associate Analyst, Rhiannon Phillips. Thanks, Alex. On the 21st of November, Chile is going to have a general election where representatives in Congress and a new president will be elected. If no presidential candidate receives a convincing majority of notes in the first round, two leading candidates will then compete in a runoff on the 19th of December. This will inevitably increase policy risk and also government stability. On the 25th to 28th of November, it will be Thanksgiving weekend across the US and North America. Uh, Transport Security Administration, the TSA authorities, project a significant increase in travel rates, coinciding with the easing of international restrictions. This will elevate the threat of unrest and security concerns in high volume areas and major cities. From the 26th to the 23rd of December in India, it's the one year anniversary of farmers protests and winter session of parliament. Farmers have already announced that they will escalate protests from the 26th of November to mark a year of demonstrations against controversial agricultural reform laws. This will inevitably increase the risk of domestic unrest and the use of security forces and elevated security presence. And on the 1st of December in the United Kingdom, it will be the Student Day of Action for Palestine. Pro-Palestinian activists across the UK are likely to stage protests and divestment campaigns. This will predominantly be across university campuses, but there's also potentially going to be campaigns against defence and tech companies with perceived links to Israel. And this will inevitably increase the domestic unrest in major cities across the UK. Thank you very much, Rhiannon. As always, if you'd like to discuss further any of the subjects we've covered today or any others, please do get in touch with us via email, which is info at Thank you very much. <laughs>